You're listening to Fanholes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Constantine, cut on mage. Your power tricks will not keep Naboo trapped forever. Oh, I don't know about that, old son. I think it's time you got nice and comfy, mate. Ridiculous. I am already reaching out to any potential magic users to bring about my release and to deliver a delicious double-down sandwich. Being the hand of fate does make Naboo hungry, and it's not like there were double-downs back in 20th century Egypt before the Common Era. Hello, I'm Tony Jackson of the Van Holes Podcast, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. As you have requested, Lord Abu, I have brought you some delicious double downs. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me that all this time that Justin has been asking for double downs on this podcast and has never gotten any? Tony just up and gives an empty helmet possessed by an old Egyptian wizard son? That's it. Justin of the Fan Holes Podcast. Uh, my, my name's Derek Batman. You've trapped Nabu forever without making deals with demons like that knight and squire wannabe Constantine would have done. Hey, guys! And Tony's no longer hypnotized by the helmet of fate. Thanks, Justin. Damn it, Tony, it's me, Derek. Come on. Now Bats is going to have to fake your death and make you a super secret agent. Isn't that right, Bats? Earn those double downs, Justin. Earn the double down. What? All I wanted was some double downs for Justin. Jackson! Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fan Holes Podcast. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I'm joined tonight by two of my fellow Fan Holes. Why don't you give a shout out, guys? Hey, it's Mike. Hey, this is Tony, and fuck, one of these things really sucks this week. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. See, that, that that's kind of, that's a good lead-in, Tony, because I did want to discuss what we're, what we're actually going to converse about tonight are three specials from the September event, Future's End, and I guess, you know, basically Future's End is actually a weekly miniseries that's going on right now. It's kind of like the previous weekly DC Comics series that have gone in the past, like, you know, 52 or Countdown, like all those kind of Trinity, you know, like all those, you know, weekly kind of series. And so they do have one going on right now titled Future's End, which basically focuses on 
five years into the future of the new 52 DC universe, which according to the DC wiki, I didn't realize that's what we were calling it, but apparently it's referred to as prime earth, not to be confused with earth prime, but, but apparently that's what they're calling it on the DC wiki is, is prime earth, the new 52 um, earth. But anyway, so (laughs) it, it deals with, with basically like five years into the future of, prime earth you know the new 52 earth and so things are a little tweaked it's a little different i mean this may be a horrible horrible comparison but it it does remind me like what they're trying to shoot for you know like well i guess for dc comics they did have that one line wide event where they did one year later uh, in the pre-new 52 universe you know so it's like there there is that aspect of trying to tease you and entice you with questions where certain shocking turns and events happen, you know, five years from now, but you're kind of going, hmm, you know, I wonder how, you know, Aquaman ended up as leader of the Justice League. Like, how did that come about? Or, you know, you're like, how come Superman has a mask on? You know, like, there's lots of sort of questions that percolate in your mind, and, you know, eventually they do delve into some of the reasons and rationale for why certain things have taken place. But what I thought we would do is there was actually a September event, kind of like during Forever Evil, where they all had Villains Month, and there were a bunch of different tie-ins and one-shots with all the different DC villains for Forever Evil. So in this case, for Future's End, there's another line-wide event where all the titles basically had specials. So it was, you know, Batman, Future's End, or, you know, it was Superman, Future's End, and and so on and so forth. And we're going to look at three different titles today. We're going to look at Future's End Constantine, number one. We're going to look at Future's End Grayson, number one. And we're going to wrap it up by looking at Future's End Green Arrow, number one. And I guess, you know, Tony did mention that he thought, you know, one of these titles was pretty horrible. And I know there's lots of detractors for the New 52. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm not talking out of turn. Like, I know... Uh, one of our fellow fanals, Justin, like he's really not a big fan of the new 52 in general. And he seemed pretty turned off by the weekly Future Zen comic as it stands, because, you know, I guess I guess there is that aspect to it where if you have favorite characters and it, it's kind of got that Alan Morrison type thing going on with with a lot of the characters where, you know, your favorite characters will be brutalized. They will be harmed. Like it's not like people are going to escape out of it unscathed or whatever. The, I, I'm just kind of, you know, reading it as I go along. And, you know, there's certain things I kind of scratch my head at, and there's other things where I was kind of interested to follow along and find out what had happened in the interim, you know, later on. And, and one of the weird comparisons I was going to make before I kind of got caught up on a tangent was with the, instead of the one-year-later comparison, I was actually thinking, like, there, there was this really, for the most part, poorly executed idea over at Image Comics, where, I don't know if you guys remember this or not, or if you were even reading some of the books at the time, but there was a period where Image had only been around for a couple years, but they decided to publish, like, an issue that was way, way, way into the future. Like, I can't remember what the event was called or whatever, but it'd be like if you were reading, you know, Supreme, they were on issue, say, 
12 or 13 or something like that. And they went ahead and published like issue number 25 or something like that. I, I really think it was just like the month of 25s or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was something like that where like everybody published like the 25th issue, even though they were n- not nearly as far. And, and of course it sounded like a cool idea at the time, you know, and, and the goal supposedly was that they would, their stories would eventually lead to that 25th issue and it would flow seamlessly. <laughs> like you'd read 24 and then 25 and 26 and you'd be like, Oh yeah, th- you planned this out all along. And I, I think if, if my memory serves, Jeez. I think like Stormwatch was like the only fucking book that took themselves seriously. Like where in their 25th issue, like everybody got butt raped or whatever the hell happened or something like that. And it actually led up to that. And like, if you read, that run of Stormwatch, you wouldn't know that it was like some kind of event-driven kind of like, like 90s. Like before led into 25, and it wasn't like, you know, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, but basically everything else, like if you read Supreme, and then you get to the 25th issue, it's like issue 24 has nothing to do with it. It's like you're, it's almost like, what, what does this have to, it's like, you know, it was something like Supreme had Thor's hammer or what, I don't know what it it was just, it didn't make any damn sense. And, you know, typical of a sort of awesome Liefeld, you know, and I don't mean awesome in the sense that it was awesome, but I mean like awesome as in the publishing imprint, awesome or whatever. But, you know, it's like one of those typical, you know, uh, kind of Liefeld type things where it was just like frenetic and they just kind of wrote whatever. And, you know, obviously it wasn't, they, they they made no effort to sort of tie into it later, but I, I, I do recall, like especially like Stormwatch and some of the Wildstorm books did make that effort. So I, I, I hope nobody takes that as a poor comparison, but that that's kind of what I think of these things as. It's like it's like it's a possibility that it'll eventually all tie into the DC universe, you know, five years from now and when, you know, certain titles you know, quote unquote, catch up to the five years, like you'll all be up to date. But there is there is a bit of aspect to it that's a bit dystopian because it does open up with the setting being like 35 years in the future and Omax are overrunning the entire universe and Batman Beyond travels back to the five year later time period to circumvent the future events. So there is that aspect to it as well, where, you know, you are kind of, it's almost like they're doing one year later meets age of apocalypse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, but you're, you know, it's kind of like, it'd be like Nate Gray comes back, but instead of coming back to the present Marvel, you know, Nate Gray comes back to five years in the Marvel universe's future in an attempt to, circumvent the events that lead to the Age of Apocalypse. Or, or, or maybe even, like, comparing it to, like, Armageddon 2000 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, there, there's those kind of aspects to it where, I, you, you, yeah, so. I, I was just going to say, like, I, I love, like, I know the point of these time skips and stuff are, are is, like, you know, just what you said, Derek, where it's like, you're like, wow, holy shit, how did that happen? Like, how did it get to, like, this person's, like, half robot now, or, you know, this person yeah, is the yeah. president now. And, like, I know, like, that's the whole point of doing, like, these time skips, but, like, I feel like it's, like, every single character has, like, altered, like, drastically sometimes, and you're you're kind of, like, you know, it's, like, and, and what have you been doing? Like, what what's happened to you since then, like, five years ago, like, say, like, Red Tornado? And he was, like, oh, I've developed a taste for ham sandwiches, but otherwise I'm okay. Like, uh, <laughs> Otherwise I'm exactly the same. It's like, I'm not, yeah. yeah. 
I don't have a like hook for a hand or you know something. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand. I got a Blu-ray player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess I, it's funny because I think I think some of the characters they chose to focus on, like at least in terms of like say Firestorm, you know, you've got Jason Rush and Ronnie Raymond, and they go from being you know teenage kids in high school to being almost adults. You know, they're they're sort of college age kids. And they're they're in a different frame of mind. So, I mean, if you think of it that way, you know, if you think of yourself in high school, what you were like, and then maybe what you were like when you went to college, there there certainly is a big gap in those five years. But I see what you're saying, like in terms of, you know, somebody who is a robot or somebody who has, you know, a, a standard adult life, then there there is that kind of knee jerk response to to make something drastically different all of a sudden where it's like well, you know what what happened to you it's like oh well now i run a big apple company and i sell t-spears like their ipods and you're kind of like okay like uh, and i refuse to join the justice league you know and you're like okay like you know so there there is those those kind of decisions where it's like oh things have to be a little tweaked so that it it basically stands apart from any current comic books that are on the stand as well, I suppose. You know, it's like, it's like, man, I can't believe how much Cyborg has changed now that he's a woman and white and brainiac. That's just weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there is that aspect to it. How does it feel, Constantine, to lock eyes with your future? It's a bit unsettling, to be honest, mate. It's not my best look. I, I guess we should get into the specific issues and everything, and I am going to basically cheat I'm going to use some really tiny synopses from the DC Comics webpage. But the first thing that I thought we would discuss is Future's End Constantine, issue number one. And, and I picked that specifically because I have been reading the ongoing title. I'm not totally up to date on it, but I've read probably like the first seven or eight issues of it. I have enjoyed it. I know some people, again, you know, there there are... I, I feel like there are many detractors for the new 52. Like there are people that are just like, Oh, this is crap. Cause it's the new 52 or, or, you know, yeah. new crap two or, you know, wh whatever they sort of decide to call it. Like, yes, it's not Hellblazer, but I, I'm still enjoying it. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's terrible. Like, I, I don't think it's awful. Like I have a good time reading that version of Constantine. I kind of like the idea that he's able to interact with, people in the DC universe instead of being sequestered back, you know, in, sort of in the, his heyday where he was a vertigo title and you'd be lucky if, you know, Swamp Thing showed up to give him some doobies or whatever, you know, uh, for his birthday, you know. Future's End, uh, Constantine number one, is written by Ray Fox, and he is the regular writer of the ongoing Constantine title. The art is by Juan Ferreira, and the awesome written synopses, that is on the DC Comics webpage is after a desperate five-year quest, John Constantine has claimed the ultimate occult prize, the helmet of fate. And that's it. That's the synopsis. So basically, you know, the, 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 the crux of the story is that John is dealing with the helmet of fate and he's trying to basically bag and tag it as he would with any kind of occult item that he considers to be dangerous and doesn't want to fall into the wrong hands. Uh, meanwhile, the helmet of fate is 
basically trying to, it's like, you know, the Helmet of Fate is possessed by Naboo. There's a little bit of elements of how it was portrayed in the Young Justice animated series, you know, that it's kind of this dangerous thing that can overtake the user. And, and you know, Naboo becomes the primary, you know, presence. And if you're just, you know, say, Zatara, Zatanna, you know, you, your personality fades to the background and gets overtaken by fate. So in this case, the, the helmet is basically desperate. It's reaching out to anybody it can summon so that Constantine doesn't basically put him away, you know. And that's basically the the conflict. And, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of a cool little dust-up, you know. I mean, who wouldn't want to see, you know, who, I guess somebody who is considered maybe a, a modern DC mage, you know, somebody who's who's a little uncouth and, and a rebel and kind of punk, you know, and he's going up against more of a sort of classical DC mage in Dr. Fate, and they've kind of... You know, I guess if you're a fan of Fate, maybe you'd be a little grumpy, you know, because it's kind of like they've kind of tilted him on the, you know, a little more on the negative side. But it's not the actual, like, if you've been reading Earth 2, it's not the actual character, you know, Khalid, who was yeah. the, the, the host of Fate. Like, there are some, there's some actual, you know, notes and insinuations on what, what his ultimate fate was, you know, no no pun intended. But, I mean, you know, other than that, like, it's mainly like like the helmet and Naboo himself are actually sort of, you know, not quite this, you know, pristine white knight. Arrogant, really arrogant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm just curious. I know I know the reason why I picked this mainly is because I know, Tony, you you had been following Earth 2 and you'd also been following some of the. Constantine stuff like with Justice League Dark so I was kind of curious like if you enjoyed it if you if you liked it actually this was uh, of all three this is not to like foreshadow anything happening later but this is probably my favorite story as a standalone because I've been watching the Constantine TV show as well and it, it kind of had that atmosphere the art's really good the art's awesome and I really yeah I just really enjoyed it because Constantine seem like Constantine. Yeah, he's interacting with the DC Universe more, and he's not like, like you said, the Vertigo, you know, Hellblazer, but he was still pretty, you know, on track. I was like, that, that's John Constantine. It's not some weird, you know, f- you know, fucked up version, and I'm like, who the hell is that? And Fate was kind of a dick, but like I said, more of an arrogant prick. He wasn't like, you know, I will rule the world. He was just more like, you know, I've saved countless lives. Of course I'm a hero. How dare you say this? And that kind of stuff. You know, he's very, very full of himself. I mean, they they do make insinuations that, you know, John's been hunting down this helmet for a really long time and that, you know, fate himself caused a lot of the sort of turmoil and, and chaos that that he yeah. had been fighting against, you know. So, so you get the idea that even though you might not know all the specifics, you, you get the idea that, you know, people have lost their lives because of Naboo's arrogance. So it's not just a matter of him kind of belittling someone. It's like that arrogance actually resulted in, in yeah. you know, I'm sure property damage and, and untold death and chaos and all that kind of stuff. Ramifications, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As far as, like, people being a little grumpy, spoilers, I'll give you five seconds to pause. If you don't want to hear it, skip ahead maybe a minute or two. For all intents and purposes, Constantine does win their exchange and fate is more or less killed as much as a 
weird spiritual character who may or may not be able to die dies. <laughs> I kind of I kind of think of it more as like he he pulls a void, you know, with like the Cyclops void thing where, you know, he had that little sliver of the void in his head locked away because he, yeah. he kind of turned the tables on him. Like, I, I kind of think of it more as that because, you know, Naboo thinks he's called this god Anubis up. And if he doesn't prove his challenge, which is basically he's he's saying, look, fate, like, you know, prove that that you're this you know, awesome guy who, who's never, you know, caused any harm that you're, yeah. you know, basically as arrogant as you are, you know, you know, prove, prove all these things that you're saying, you know, and yeah, they, when, they, when he can't, you know, like the, the thing we talked about with Khalid, the guy from earth Two, it's like, he's like, what would he say? And it's like, he's speechless. He can't say anything. Cause you, you get the idea. He's completely fucked all his hosts over the years. And, yeah. and, and basically at that point, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, John's one and, and it, more on a psychological level than anything else. And, and you find out like kind of, to me, it's a typical Constantine thing. Like he's he's kind of psyched him out because he didn't really call the god Anubis. He called like some lesser demon or something to put on a big show and everything. And and it, it's almost like it, it, some of the lines, the the words they use, kind of crack me up. Where I think he he calls him like a lesser mage or you know I, I forget exactly what, how he refers to him, but you know fate's so kind of you know. I think he called him a derogatory. Guy. You know, he he looks down on him. You know, so yeah, he's he's a he's a fucking hipster. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, you just you just like the idea that he he's able to turn the tables on this guy who's so so arrogant and actually you know kind of. I mean, to me, it seems like that if you knew nothing about Constantine, at least you'd get out of this like the kind of. To, to me, it seems like that's his whole shtick is Constantine is usually up against things that are way out of his league, but he, he's such a slickster, you know, that he, he basically somehow, you know, makes you trip up on your own banana peel without you realizing it, you know? And that's that's kind of how how this goes down for the yeah, most he's like, part. he's like 50% really good like at using magic and like 50% awesome at being a con man. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean that's the thing. He plays for the long con and and it's kind of to to me it's always I guess the con is more impressive when it's you know, I mean I guess that's at the expense of of Dr. Fate I suppose, but but it is it is kind of impressive that he manages to do that, you know, against somebody who you actually kind of know, you know, it'd be like, you know, somebody conning, you know, Harry Potter, or, you know, somebody conning, you know, Dr. Strange or whatever. And you're like, oh, that's cool, man. Cause he just, you know, it's like, oh, too bad, Harry, I guess better luck next time, old son, you know, and it's like, that's it, you know, but I'm, I'm kind of curious cause I know I, I, I don't imagine Mike's read many Hellblazer or Constantine or anything, but I'm just kind of curious, like maybe from an outside perspective, like what, what your take on this whole thing was. Why didn't he look like Keanu Reeves? <laughs> no! No, no. I, yeah, I, I've, I've never read any Hellblazer. You're, you're like, you're like why, doesn't he, why doesn't he have a gold medal gun cross? Like, yeah. What? And where's Shia LaBeouf? Where's Shia LaBeouf? Didn't, well, they, he had his buddy outside that was trying to herd off all these summoned hosts that were supposedly going to wear the helmet for him but you know that that wasn't even Chaz that was another character entirely but but it does it does play with that aspect of 
basically even that guy's like, damn it, Constantine, you know, you told me this would be easy. They'd all be sleepwalking, and I could just do the Vulcan nerve pinch on them. But this weren't easy, god damn it. You know, like... like so. He said there'd be one or two. There's like 30 of them. <laughs> yeah, you know, so... He's I mean, always he's always he's always conning everybody basically. So and uh, I'm I, I've never read any of his comics, but I am I'm familiar with the character. And yeah, I've seen some episodes of the TV show, which which uh, what do you call is I guess technically new as of this recording. It's you know I enjoyed it, but yeah, I was kind of like I was kind of like I, when you said like oh they they uh, portrayed fate this way like on Young Justice or I guess I should say Nabu. And I, I was kind of like, oh, I, is, is is this sort of a new thing, like Nabu being sort of a douche? Or I don't. I mean, I don't. I I I think when he's the protagonist in his own book, I mean, there there were periods where Nabu was kind of a douche, and and it was just Kent Nelson or just his wife, you know, actually, you know, going out and being a superhero. But I, I think there were points too where it was kind of a like a merged and mutual thing like that. He wasn't, I, I, I guess to me, like, it's like, I don't remember him always. I don't remember Nabu always being such a detriment to the person who wore him. But I mean, that just could be my selective memory, but it's like, I, I never, you know, to me is like, I think of Dr. Fate is the guy who was like the guy in Batman's back pocket in cosmic odyssey. Like there was never any threat of, Dr. Fate showing up and being like, I want the anti-life for myself because I'm an arrogant prick. It was just, he was Batman's like ace in the hole, you know, where he's like, dude, I got this thing for you. Can you watch Darkseid? Great. All right. Be talking to you. And everybody's like, who the fuck was that? And for years I was always like, who was that? And it was fucking <laughs> Dr. Fate, you know, because he was like the person that was magic-y enough to, to pull all that shit off. And when all this shit hits the fan at the end of that miniseries, it's like Const or, uh, Constantine. Fate's the one who sort of pulls all their fat out of the fire, you know, and is like, all right, Darkseid, stop being a douche. Like, I'm going to put some magic angst all over the place and stop you from fucking shit up, you know. And it was like, I, I never thought of him as like, you know, and, and maybe that's just, you know, my my perception of it, but even, even back in like the, the JSA type stuff, it, I, I never thought of it as, you know, he was a big, you know, anybody who wore the helmet had the potential to be a big douche after they wore it. But I, I think stuff like maybe like, I, I'm thinking of stuff like, you know, most of it's been to, to me, it's been recent stuff. Like I think like when detective chimp was like hunting down his helmet and that the helmet was doing kind of similar things to what it's doing here, like trying to summon hosts and all that kind of stuff. So, or like in Smallville where the helmet made the guy almost nut bars. Yeah. 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 Like uh, to me, it seems like that's something, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess maybe, uh, you know, since I haven't, you know, read too much Dr. Fate, like whole runs of it or whatever, you know, maybe maybe my perception is colored. I mean, I do recall when, you know, Kent Nelson and his wife were just kind of doing it on their own, like, because, you know, there's that helmet that doesn't have the full mask or whatever. And you're like, oh, that's just Kent Nelson using his magic, you know. So, but, I mean, I, I don't, I never saw it as, like, you know something that is permanently etched in the character, but it uh, seems to to me it seems I was like just like I was like, like damn like Nabu be needy yo like yeah yeah <laughs> well especially with all those like it, it was kind of creepy the way like when Constantine picks up the helmet and he's like you don't even need to put me on my head and like all those weird kind of like 
I don't know what it was, but it was like this tied this shit on you. (laughs) Yeah, it was like this kind of weird, like almost. I don't know how to describe it. It it was kind of very organic, like slimy looking blue ethereal things coming out of the the helmet. You know, so what it did kind what it did kind of remind me of, and it I guess like. It made me feel less skeevy than this, but like when like Genisvel is like sealed away in Thunderbolts like one hundred, like oh, sort of okay. where Zemo kind of sealed him away because yeah, it's causing yeah. like a space time rip or whatever. And you know it was it was, but Genisvel was kind of like a more sympathetic character, and you know Zemo's yeah, obviously yeah. a dick, so you kind of feel skeevy about it. But this time it was kind of like reverse, where now you you. You kind of see that Constantine is right that Nabu is kind of like being like you know using people and you know he kind of deserves well, sort of, it. Yeah, he he sort of illustrates. He's like you know he's like look old son like you haven't thought about all these people you've been calling for the last you know half hour. It's like do you realize like two of them have killed each other trying to get to your helmet? Do you even give a shit? He's like you haven't even thought about it. You know like you don't even give a fucking rat's ass. So to him, it's like, it's, it's pretty clear. It's weird though. Like Naboo does seem to have that sort of parallax Hal Jordan mentality of like, we'll join with me and we'll turn back time and we'll fix it and we'll make it all better. You know? And he's kind of like, dude, like we, you know, every time we try this time travel crap, it just makes things worse. To be fair, I will say this at the end when the, the battle on another plane is over, the Freet, that's, that's who John Constantine got. It was, it was pretending to be Anubis. Part of like the deal of him helping Constantine was he gets to inhabit the helmet now, and he can you know people can wear it, and he can you know kind of do like I guess the old Doctor Fate where they kind of share a consciousness and stuff. Yeah, and you know, in the back of my head, I'm just like, that's a demon, so that's going to come and bite you in the ass at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it will. <laughs> bad, bad deal, man. But, he did but what he you know, did. I think I think that's the point, though. I mean, it's like he stops it for the time being, and you know, being who he is, it's like, yeah, he cons it, but it's it's sort of like a, you know, putting a, a band aid over a broken dam. Like it's not gonna hold it forever, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, you won't hear about it for like years, possibly, but then out of nowhere one day, you know, evil Doctor Fate, brother, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll lead to other stuff later on. Yeah, like I said, though, it was it was like really well paced i really like the pacing of it and like the the writer is, is really good at dialogue like you know this sounds stupid because you know you're supposed to get this from comics but like you know constantine sounded like you know what he was you know being called like a gutter mage you know he like sounds like somebody you talk to at like a yeah a that's, that's what i was trying to think of that i thought was a, a cool little derogatory comment that that Naboo was throwing his way. He's like, ah, the gutter mage, you know, <laughs> kind of like, he's kind of like, ah, you're, you know, basically you could see the arrogance too. Cause he's like, ah, you're just shit. You're no good. And it's like, you, you may be like, in some ways, like if somebody was like a big fan of say, maybe Dr. Strange or Dr. Fate. And then you told them like, well, my favorite magician comic is Constantine. And they'd be like, what? You know? And, and maybe, maybe that's, that's a reflection of that kind of attitude where it's like, yeah, just because you think he's trash doesn't mean, you know, he can't pull the wool over your eyes. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a fun, yeah. like, concept and, you know, battle, basically, where you're like, how does, you know, John Constantine end up with the helmet of Naboo? You know, like, how does 
how would a fight go down between the two of them? Like, the, you know, so it, it was something that kind of appealed to my, you know, inner fanboy where you're like, oh, that seems like it'd be a cool throw down. Like, I wonder how that goes down. You know, I feel yeah. I feel like there was sort of almost an, uh, a slight element of kind of like Spider-Man, like underdog syndrome where you're kind of like, you know, Spider-Man beating up Fire Lord or something. Yeah. So like yeah, I, yeah. I, I kind of definitely was like, well, wow. Like, Doctor, when I think of Dr. Fate, I think of, you know, obviously he's a heavy hitter. And, Constantine, like, you know, he's kind of, like, more down to earth, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, on the bright side, though, Constantine didn't really take his wallet, though. He just pretty much got a couple of bucks out of his pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he, he, well, he, you know, he basically said, oh, look the other way, you know, and then then he actually snuck out a couple 20s, you know, like, that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm sure, I'm sure, like Tony says, it may come to bite him in the ass, where, you know, Fate's like, where are my 20s? (laughs) Constantine! You know, uh, and just for no reason, yeah. I, I had like when you were talking about like his little slurs against Constantine, I was like, Nebu's like, you sir, the Kim Kardashian of magic. <laughs> <laughs> Don't push it, Dick Grayson. Yeah, but that's what I do. <laughs> All right, so I guess I guess that kind of wraps up our thoughts on Futures and Constantine. Now, my my game plan was to, to have some really really excellent nice bread and some crappy meat on the inside so we're gonna get to the the ham what what, what do they call that like meat where it's got like the little olives inside of it or whatever oh, that sucks? Uh, pimento loaf yeah we're we're gonna do the pimento loaf part of the podcast now well at least in my opinion i don't know it's weird it, it, this seems like one of those things where i've seen reviews and people either love this to death or they can't fucking stand it and I think I'm with the camp that can't fucking stand it. So just just be forewarned. As as a a preface, to be fair, I will have to say I have not read the ongoing title for Grayson, you know, the sort of new reimagining where he is a secret agent. So maybe that would assist in maybe some of my understanding. But I did try to do a little research before we did this show so that I, you know, don't sound like a total uninformed person. But it, it is quite a jarring experience. And basically, we're, we're talking about Grayson, Future's End, issue number one. It's written by Tom King, who is the writer of the ongoing Grayson series. The art is by Stephen Mooney. So, I... It, <laughs> it's it's a non-linear story, and it's structured in reverse. It's kind of like, I, I guess the reason why people like to rave about it is, I guess if you've seen the movie Memento, I mean, it's it's almost structured in that way. All I can say is, if I have to read it fucking backwards to get the story, like, I don't know, there, there's something about that that, like... <laughs> they didn't tell you it was a manga, <laughs> You know, like, I I don't know. We'll we'll start off with the synopsis, the very simple synopsis from the DC Comics website. Branded a traitor, Dick Grayson has become the most powerful hero in the newly resurgent and dominant Mother Russia. And now he must battle the beast from the east in one final struggle for supremacy. That's that's basically your little teaser or synopsis that's given to you in previews or what have you. It 
it opens with him dying, or maybe what you perceive as him dying. He's hung off a rope. And and from that point on, I mean, I, I was kind of joking about it to some of the other guys when I first read this issue, and I actually was like, can you read this for me? Can you read this and tell me if I'm crazy? Because, like, sometimes it, it, it kind of reminds me of when I first watched Char's Counterattack, and I was like, man, this T-Spear stuff is stupid. And then and then I went, well, maybe I'm missing something. Like, maybe this is cool, and I just... I'm not getting it. And so I had one of my buddies come over and watch it with me. And I'm like, look, you, you might not understand everything because you haven't seen everything from Gundam. But can you just watch this and tell me if I'm if I'm losing it? Like, I'm like, is this is this dumb or is this not dumb? You know, and so he watched it and he was kind of confused by the T-Spirit, too. And I was just like, OK, cool. It's not just me. It is it is the ending is very ambiguous and kind of flighty. And, and that's kind of the, the reaction I had when I read this. I was like. Is this avant-garde or is this just fucking dumb? You know, like, and, and that's why I wanted somebody else to, you know, that, that's why I wanted other people to read it. And I'm, I'm, I think it's one of those things where it's probably much more fascinating to talk about it, discuss it, and read what other people's artistic impression of it is, as opposed to the actual material, which I think kind of pisses me off. Like, and not, not because of anything. Like, in particular, but just, I don't know. We'll, we'll get to it, I guess. But I, I'm kind of curious, like, so what, what about you guys? Like, I mean, a, am I crazy? Is it avant-garde, or is it is it something else? It's like <laughs> avant-garde or something else. Like, those are the only two choices. Like... Well, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's either it's either crap or it's good. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless you think it's neither of those things. And no, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you, no, I get what you're saying. Like, I, I definitely felt like that. Like, I, I felt like, okay, like, I can kind of see the joins between the scenes, but, like, I, I don't know. It, it wasn't – it definitely needs a, a couple read-throughs before you get the whole picture. And, like, I, I, I don't – feel like that's a good thing basically for yeah yeah like because it seemed like what they were trying to illustrate was they were trying to tell you a story in which dick grayson's parents were murdered by people that were bad people and you kind of know that if you know anything about batman comics but if you if you follow it in reverse you have batman telling him that killing is wrong and following it in reverse by the end of it operating as the secret agent he decides that the best thing to do because the KG beast who I'm actually a fan of so that that's multiple things that end up pissing me off in the story but because the KG beast is now the president of Russia and basically sent them out on this mission to deal with some parademons this whole village basically gets exterminated and he did that on purpose. And it's like Dick Grayson can't live with that anymore. And he basically snaps the guy's neck. And that's why when you start with the opening scene, he's being hung to death because he's basically, you know, his girlfriend, his partner is, is basically forced to, you know, execute him and carry out this, this, you know, retribution for what he's done to the, the president of Russia, basically. 
in another kind of confusing thing, at least for for any you know person who's not been reading the ongoing Grayson series, his partner and basic love interest in this piece is Helena Bertinelli. And I, I remember, what, what did you first ask me, Mike, when when I, I sent this over to you? Well, I, I think I asked you, is that supposed to be Helena Bertinelli? And, like, if so, I mean, what, like, I know, isn't Helena Wayne, like, already running around in the new 52? Yeah, or? she is. She is. So I was, I was kind of confused about that myself. Uh, now, I did do a little due diligence. I did do some research. Now, ironically, I think I've read most of the original Nightwing run, but because issue 30 took so long to come out, because it had direct consequences with the last issue of Forever Evil, which was also delayed. So those two titles were perpetually delayed. Like, basically, Nightwing 30 wasn't going to come out until Forever Evil 7 was going to come out. So I've read Forever Evil 7. I did not read Nightwing 30 until just, like, ten minutes before we did this podcast. Helena Bertinelli's introduced in Nightwing issue number 30 she saves Dr. Leslie Tompkins from, like, this evil monkey fist or whatever the fuck bad terrorist organization that Grayson's going after in the current comic. Basically, uh, the idea is, I guess it's supposed to be like a Diana Prince thing. Like, you remember how, like, you know, Marvin and Wendy, and it's like Marvin's mother is the real Diana Prince, like not Wonder Woman, but the woman she got her identity from. So supposedly Helena Wayne, like one of her aliases when she came over from Earth 2, was Helena Bertinelli. And she basically has the exact same backstory as the post-crisis huntress, Helena Bertinelli. Like she's she was the daughter of a mob family, and she likes using crossbows and all this other bullshit. But she was mistakenly believed dead, just kind of like Dick Grayson had his own death faked at the end of Forever Evil, and so she's supposed to be the real, quote-unquote, Helena Bertinelli that Helena Wayne was pretending to be when she came over from Earth 2. And I guess she's a main cast member in the ongoing Grayson comic or whatever. But when I first read it, I had the same reaction as you, where I was like, is this Helena Wayne? Like, is it the Earth 2 Helena Wayne? And I was like, it doesn't look like her. Like, her, her clearly her complexion and her features, you know, give you the vibe that, you know, she's not the same character, you know, and, and her costume and all that kind of other stuff. So, you know, for a long time, you're sitting there reading it going, I, I don't know who this is. Like, and I'm like, is it the same character? So I was, I mean, that could be just some, you know, fanboy nerd qualm confusion, but... I mean, that's, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like it's legitimate, because you're, especially if you know anything about, you know, World's Finest and Earth 2 and everything. But um, what about you, Tony? Like, do you have any thought to that? Like, did that even occur to you? Like, uh, Well, I knew who, well, he, he just says Helena in this issue, I think. So it's just like, since I don't read the New 52, I was just like, oh, that's this version of Huntress, I guess. I know about Helena Wayne, like, being in yeah. this new 52 so i just took that for what it was okay. i was because i well the thing about it is i won't i'll let you you know maybe reveal the like point i guess <clears throat> but like it really kind of annoyed me also because it seemed like they were telling a really long story for a very small plot point that'll like you know 
resolve how maybe Dick Grayson can get out of this, you know? And I was like, wow, that just took forever. And like I said, I don't know if it's on avant-garde or just like... Because when they kept going back further and further and further, I was like, holy shit, man. I mean, <laughs> like... We know- yeah, I mean, there, there's... It's like there's one thing to treat your audience like they're retards and stupid, and then there's another thing to treat your audience like they're freaking Mr. Spock, you know, or, or they have the the memory retention of like a, you know, 20 terabyte computer or something. Like, I, I don't know. It's like, it seems like there's a happy medium, you know, between the two, right? And like this, it's like, it's kind of like you, you literally have to like read it multiple times. And you have to fucking read it backwards and forwards, upside down and left side up and right side up and flip side up and all this kind of stuff. And even then, some of the points it tries to hit home, like, you know, okay, it's my it's my little avatar on the Skype screen. But just just so people know, like, this is something that that irritated me to no end. And basically, it's like trying to apologize for Robin's costume being colorful but it's also trying to explain why Batman would let a young kid out in a costume that could get him killed. And it fails. I mean, <laughs> it totally fucking fails. Like, like the whole point is, you know, Batman's sitting there going, you know, I get to wear this black outfit. And Dick Grayson is like, well, what, why can't I wear an outfit like you? Like, isn't this kind of gaudy? Like, won't it get me killed? And he's basically like, you know, wear your outfit. So they will see you. Then beat them when they see you. When you're ready, wear mine. Earn the night. And I'm kind of like, what? Like, are you fucking for real? Like, that's what I would have said to him. I would have been like, are you fucking for real? Like, I mean, are you fucking kidding me? Like, with that bullshit, Batman? And I guess it extends to, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I guess it extends to the writer. But I'm like, are you for real? Like, are you seriously for real? Like, come on, can't we just acknowledge, like, okay, Robin's got a fucking colorful costume. I mean, there's enough stupid fucking jokes on, like, Tiny Toons and all these things with, like, I remember the Tiny Toons where it was, like, Plucky Duck was dressed up as Batman, and then I think it was, like, Hampton was his loyal sidekick decoy, and he has a Robin (laughs) costume with a big fucking target in the middle. I mean, I I get that's the joke, right? But it's like, you're trying way too hard to, to mute that joke you know like i don't know but i'm just curious like what do you what do you do you guys have any take on that or like those scenes those flashback scenes with batman where he's you know there's some other elements to it too where he's basically telling him who killed his parents and and how they found this jar of acid that basically was what loosened the ropes at the circus and all that kind of stuff i'm just curious what you guys uh thought of it it kind, of, it kind of struck me as like some sort of like Christopher Nolan thing where they're like they had to find some kind of realistic explanation for Robin's costume being like all bright and stuff. But yet you're right, it, it totally fails. It, it it doesn't make sense at all, and it's just a you know it's just a part of comic books basically, like where where you just got to accept it. Like I mean, it, it it's not like in 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 real quote unquote real life. Batman's costume would like really like make him invisible or something, you know. It, 
I don't know. It's it's a part. It's something you've got to like kind of uh, look past, and you know, uh, it's the illusion of the, the the medium, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, some things you just have to take at face value and just accept. You know, like you you have to suspend your disbelief for certain aspects of the superhero genre, and one of those is that they wear bright and fucking colorful costumes. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, it just it just bugs me when, when somebody tries to really, like, overthink it. Yeah, it, 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 was, like, it was super pretentious, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just felt... He, like, took out, like, the purple prose and just had Batman talk like a real person. He basically said, in no, like, uncertain terms, I wear it because this is cool. You're not cool yet. When you're cool, you can wear this, but you're not cool yet, so I'm wearing this. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Oh, and in the meantime, being if being not as cool as Batman means there's a potential for you to get fucking executed by the Joker or whatever, which does happen to Jason Todd, regardless of what continuity it is, right? So, I don't know. Maybe maybe Jason just wasn't as cool, you know. Like I don't I don't know how that works, but yeah. I also didn't understand the Batgirl thing where they're like you know training and stuff, and like I understood like you know the allegory for like you know oh I didn't need a rope or whatever I got it I got it, but like still like do we really need Barbara like saying like I'm not gonna fuck you? <laughs> well, it, it just it it seems weird because in some some instances it seems like you know there's the maybe the the fan needs for them to end up together cuz i mean i i think i was probably one of those fans like i i read like the birds of prey issue number 8 that's worth like a billion dollars now where you know it basically has their sort of tragic but but you know unrequited love type story or wh- whatever you want to say and it's like oh it's why they can never be together because it's comics and comics go on forever and if they got together then they'd actually have to you know settle down and have kids and not be superheroes or whatever. And and this just seems like another reiteration of that. It's kind of like, we we can't be together, Dick, because you want someone broody like Batman to be your sidekick, and I can't be your sidekick because I'm not Batman. I'm Batgirl. You know, and you're just like, well, duh. Like, I'm, I don't know. What do you think? It's like... <laughs> but like, well, I, well, when we're talking about, like, it being... trying to be, you know, Art Nouveau. There you go. There's another, like... It doesn't help when you do this kind of backwards story where, like, on one page, you're like, you know, Nelly is like, you know, hey, when I tell you to come up to the roof, you know what that means. And they just start humping. And then the page after that is like, you know, you're supposed to come on the roof when I, when I tell you to because this is our sign, you know, extraction point. And, stuff. and you're like, fuck. Well, see, I think I think it's telling because basically what you're talking about is all his interactions with Helena, you know, on these different missions and everything. And and you're supposed to get bits of information out of each of these scenes. But I think it's very telling that in like all the DC wiki synopses, like they had to synopsize this from the end to the beginning instead of from the beginning to the end because if you do it from the beginning to the end it drives you fucking insane yeah. it's like that Shazam stuff where it's like that way lies madness you know because it's like how can you syn- it's like you can't synopsize this from the beginning because in the beginning you don't know what you need to know to understand what happened because your understanding of what happens on page one is that Dick Grayson is hung and he's dead and some girl left him there to die. And then as you read the next page, you realize that girl was his partner 
and what he had done to deserve hanging was snap the neck of the president. And then, as you go back another page, you learn the president's KG beast, who he mocks and makes fun of, and says Batman thinks is a joke, which I don't really get, but obviously we don't know what his New 52 origin is, so who knows, maybe he is a joke in the New 52, but as far as I'm concerned, he's not a goddamn joke, he's a fucking KG beast. But anyway, he's a joke in this, and he gets his neck snapped like a joke, and... Then you go back a page, and you figure out, oh, well, the reason why he snapped his neck was because he's a scumfuck, and he has all these people killed while they're off fighting parademons. And then you go back another page, and you find out that they have this intimate relationship. So now you, it's like, now let's go back to page one. It's like, oh, the girl who left him to be hung was fucking him? And they're they're really intimate partners? Like... It's like you, you, you have to read it in fucking reverse to even understand it. And then and then the, the stuff about the Clue Master Clue, like, it's kind of like, you, you have to, like, sit down and decipher all these fucking clues. It's like, you, you know the stuff that always pissed me off in comics? And it's like, I don't, you know, I know this is Justin's favorite character, and if he was here, he'd beat me up or whatever. But you know what I fucking hate? is Zatanna fucking speak in comics. Because it's always fucking backwards. And it always takes you out of the story because you're, like, sitting there going, I don't know what the fuck fucking means. And you have to sit there and stop and go, oh, she said, pull a rabbit out of my hat. And then the next panel, you're like, oh, she pulled a rabbit. But you have to literally, like, stop and, like, fucking make your brain process in a way that it doesn't normally process and it kind of hurts and and in the same way the the clue master clue is basically every letter in every first letter in a sentence reveals what he wants you to know so if i say you know uh fairies are really bad undergarments are really cool Claire is a girl I really like, and kites are fun to fly. It means I've just told you fuck. <laughs> now, now stop for a minute if you're listening, and just process that in your head. Like, did you even remotely grasp that that's where I was going with it? Probably not. Like, you'd have to fucking rewind this podcast and go back and listen to what the fuck I said and then realize that I was saying, quote-unquote, in the Clue Master Clue way that I was saying fuck. And so, and, well, and, and then on top of that, layer that with, say I said all that and I didn't tell you the Clue Master Clue. <laughs> say I just said... Fairies are red, undergarments are blue, uh, Claire is a girl I like, and kites are really fun to fly. And then I started going, <laughs> it was this case, this case that me and Batman worked on. <laughs> and you still have no fucking idea what I'm talking about. That's basically what happens, except for it's fart. Like, but, you know, the, the Helena says something and they're tied up and it's F-A-R-T is the first letter of every sentence she uses and he's laughing about it. And it's like, when you're reading it, it seems like nonsense. It seems like Dick Grayson is a fucking lunatic is what it seems like. 
Like, they're about to die and get eaten by sharks and all this stuff. And it seems like he's a fucking moronic lunatic. And he just is laughing. Like, I, I thought, like, what, did the Joker fucking stick some laughing gas in his fucking ass? Like, I, I, I just, you know, and it's like, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I, I don't like this comic. But um, you guys, you guys can talk about it some more. But I think I've said everything I can say about it. Well, you know what's really sad it is one of our little fan holes, like in terms for when we get ready to do a show, is like, okay, here's your homework for this week. You know, read this book or watch this TV show, and we'll talk about it. It's not fun when your homework is like fucking homework. Like, it's one thing if I'm watching a show and I'm like, oh, I really enjoy this. It's another thing if I'm like reading a comic book and I actually have to like fucking do clues and riddles and fucking you know existentially think about the meaning of life and crap. I'm trying to read fucking Grayson. And <laughs> well, you know, I guess, I guess just to cap it all off, like obviously he does not get hung. He does not die because the same acid that killed his parents by breaking a rope is the same acid that is now going to free him from this yeah. hanging death trap at the beginning of the issue. So, I mean, rest assured, you know, yeah, Grayson is fine, you know, but if you, if you, I don't know, it's just one of those things where you don't really know that until you get to the end of the issue. And by the time you get to the end of the issue, you may have forgotten the first goddamn page because you've, <laughs> you've gone through so many hurdles to, like, sort of comprehend in a, basically a backward manner. You know, it's like, it's like you know, the first time you ever tried to read manga and you're like, wait, I got to read this from right to left? Like, this is kind of, it's like a head trip, especially if you've been reading from left to right your entire life, you know? Yeah, and, and it doesn't help that, like, a lot of the transitions, all you really get is earlier. And some of them are really abrupt, you know? It's not like it flows really well either, you know? It's just like, this happened. Oh, and this happened. Oh, and this happened. Oh, and this happened. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I, it, it's weird. I just... I, I know people have been saying good things about the Grayson series in general. I, I don't really understand the premise, like, because the the premise seems to be twofold. The premise seems to be Batman wants somebody on the inside of this government organization that is out to stop terrorists, but they're also out to unmask all the vigilantes and superheroes in the DC Universe. So he basically wants an inside man in that organization he can trust so that that does not happen, basically. So I, I kind of understand that from Batman's point of view. Like, from Batman's selfish perspective, he, again, is trying to protect his own secret identity. So, you know, Dick Grayson has to become undercover and pretend he's dead and, and all this other stuff. But, like, the whole reason why he has to stay dead is so that he can be a secret agent, but it's because all his secrets have been revealed? Like, I, I don't know. There's something about that that just doesn't, like, flow to me, you know? Yeah, you but. think somebody would be like, well, thank you for joining our secret organization, Mr. Dick Grayson. Hey, you know this guy named Robin in Nightwing who is Dick Grayson who's really acrobatic and athletic? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I Maybe it's like one of those things where it's like, it's like I, I, I'd be willing to let that slide if they didn't try to fucking explain why Robin's costume isn't stupid so hard. Like, <laughs> and I, I don't think Robin's costume is stupid, but I'm just saying, it, see, if you have to explain it that hard, that leads me to believe you're coming from the place in your heart that you think 
colorful superhero costumes are stupid, thus you need to explain them. And if you're coming from that place, then it's like I, I, I find it hard to sort of take anything else, any other premises you throw at me at face value without trying to tear them down just as hard as you were trying to, you know, sort of facetiously build up, you know, a superhero costume. It's like, you don't have to try that hard. Let me ask, is Dick Grayson's, like, identity as Nightwing, like, publicly known now? Like, after he quote-unquote died? Like, see, that's another thing, like, I hate. Like, this, like, you know, it's like he's so, like, he worked with Batman for years, but, you know, when he's Dick Grayson, but... And, you know, when Bruce Wayne still has, like, this whole corporation that funds Batman, and you're kind of, like, I don't know, the circumstantial evidence alone would, like, point towards, like, Bruce Wayne being Batman. But, I don't know, it's just, like, everyone's, like, as dumb as they are in, like, the Marvel Universe or whatever, yeah, where, or, you know, where they well, can't just... even worse. They, like, do Civil War kind of reveals, and then they're like, we're going to do Civil War kind of reveals... But also keep secret identities. It's like that does not fucking work. <laughs> yeah, well, I just I, my my thing is I'm like even even if I accept the premise that nobody makes the leap about Bruce Wayne being Batman, right? Even if I just accept the premise that it was only Dick Grayson whose secrets were revealed, how does that make you a prime candidate to be a good like secret agent? <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd be yeah. like it'd be like if you know. You know, Daredevil has been revealed as Matt Murdock like 400 times. Like, you know, I, I used this gag on the Ultraman 80 Toku Thursdays podcast, but it's like he can't also be a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, he can't also like, you know, he can't do all three, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, like Spider-Man, you know, it's like, aha, Peter Parker, you're Spider-Man. Now it all makes sense. I'd like for you to become the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth 616. Anyway, yeah. that that that's all I got on it. Do you, you guys have anything else on it before we move on to the the next and final the the nice bread of the sandwich? I, I will say one thing, except for the backgrounds, which were really nice. All the character models look kind of doofy. I didn't like them. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I mean I could be wrong, but what the Dick Grayson costume reminded me of the the Mother Russia costume. I mean, it looked like a nod to. The original Red Stars costume. Yeah, know, I was thinking so. that too. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I wasn't sure if Mike would be familiar with it, but I figured maybe you would be, Tony. Uh, I've, I, I am familiar with the Stephen Mooney's art, though, because he drew some of, like, the Angel after the fall issues. Yeah, and he was okay. probably, he okay. was, like, one of my least favorite artists on that series. So, yeah, I was kind of like, eh, I don't really like this art either. Yeah, Red Star was like a member of the Outsiders, and he was like a Russian hero and stuff. So yeah, there was that. He, he was a he was a Teen Titan actually. He was a Teen Titan. I thought he was on the Outsiders too. Oh no, that was that was G Force. They were yeah, yeah. He was from a weird country. Oh, yeah, you're right. But yeah, I do know Red Star. He was in an episode of Teen Titans actually. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the art was just very bland. It's just just I don't know. I I didn't get any sense of action, and like I said, all the designs were just very. I don't know. They had no character. It was like, is that Dick Grayson or is that just a guy walking down the street, you know? Nailed it. You and your stupid antics almost got us killed again. Uh, gotta go, Arrow. All right. So I guess to to wrap it all up, we're also going to talk about Green Arrow Future's End, issue number one. This is written by Jeff Lemire. 
I, I say Jeff Lemire, but I've heard people say Jeff Lemire. What do you guys, you guys got any thoughts on that? Am I wrong? I, I never thought about it. Okay. Uh, I'm just, I'm going to keep saying, so don't ask me. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to keep saying Jeff Lemire until Jeff tells me I'm wrong. So, yeah. So, Jeff, right all Fanholes Podcast. Fanholes Podcast, gmail.com, if, if, if we need correction. The penciler is Andrea Sorrentino. I just want to preface this with one of the things that I, well, I don't know what the best way to say this is, but basically on the Action Figure Blues podcast, which I'm a fan of listening to, one of the guys on there is a guy named John, and he goes by the Engineer Nerd, and he was really getting into the Arrow TV series, kind of like I think a lot of us are. We're enjoying the Arrow TV series, and this was part of why I picked this particular special because I think there are aspects of that TV series that get incorporated in, in kind of different ways. It's, they kind of take their own twist on certain yeah, things. Yeah, kind of fold um, ideas in, yeah. But when he mentioned that he was getting into the Arrow TV series, I recommended a number of Green Arrow books that I personally enjoy, but also with sort of the caveat of if you enjoy Arrow, you will enjoy the Mike Grell run on Green Arrow. You know, and I recommended certain trade paperbacks that were coming out that were done by Mike Grell, like the Longbow Hunters. And now they actually are collecting, like, a lot of the early Mike Grell, you know, comics and everything. And so I was like, yeah, this is totally, like, right up your alley. If you like Arrow, you will like the Mike Grell stuff. And there were, you know, a number of other comics I recommended. But in my recommendations, one of the things I mentioned, and and I'm still going to hold true to this, is when the New 52 started... And I guess this doesn't follow with me trying to not be a detractor of the New 52, but I'm just being honest. The first, like, 15 issues of Green Arrow, they had three different rotated creative teams. They were all bad. Like, I mean, there, there's no... There, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it or anything. Like, you know, some of the creators are, 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 are people that I enjoy their work and stuff like that, but... It was like they were all trying to find their footing, and they all slipped and fell, you know? I didn't enjoy the book until Jeff Lemire came on the book. And it also seemed like he, even though he had his own take on it, they seemed like they tried to incorporate certain aspects of the television show, like Robert Clean, like giving him a sister, you know, introducing Diggle, like things like that into the the story and everything. So that that's all I wanted to preface it with. The synopsis on DC Comics is very simple. <laughs> the synopsis is, Green Arrow is dead, and his replacement finally stands revealed! Exclamation mark. That's, that's basically the synopsis on DC Comics for this special. I, I guess the only real bit of information that you might need to know before you read this issue is that Green Arrow is presumed dead in the beginning of the weekly Future's End comic series. And that's, I mean, if you don't know that, you know, this is kind of revealing why he isn't really dead, kind of, in a way. I guess that's all, I mean, that's that's kind of, I mean, I, I enjoy it. Like, I, I like the art. I think it's kind of moody and... and sort of very 
it's got an interesting atmosphere for somebody who's a street-level hero. They've got a lot of interesting characters, like the in this, you actually deal with the Outsiders, you actually deal with Shadow and Deathstroke and Count Vertigo and his cult and everything. So there's, there's lots of characters that are being used on the Arrow television series, or at least approximations of characters that are being used on the Arrow television series that find their way into this comic book. There's a cool little fight sequence between Deathstroke and Green Arrow. And then, you know, he actually makes a deal with the members of the Outsiders, who are all actually DC characters that have appeared in some way, shape, form, or another, except for the Magus, who I think is somebody that Jeff Lemire introduces in his run on, you know, the new 52 Green Arrow. But, like, the the shadow in this version is not quite the same character from the Mike Grell version. It's actually a, a, a woman who had a, a relationship with his father, Robert Queen. So the, the girl that is his sister, kind of like in, in Arrow, like, as opposed to it being, you know, Malcolm Merlin's illegitimate child with you know, Oliver Queen's mother, in this case, uh, Amiko, who is, I guess, his replacement, as it says in the synopsis, you know, the current Green Arrow, the little girl who is, you know, dressed up as Green Arrow and everything, like, she's kind of an approximation of Thea Queen, in a way, I guess, you know, and so, so, but she's actually the daughter of Shadow and Robert Queen. The Butcher is, like, another DC Comics character who is one of the members of the Outsider. Onyx was, like, a kind of a ninja assassin-ish type character that appeared in a bunch of Batman comics. And then you've got Katana, who is obviously also from the original Outsiders, but this is kind of the New 52 version. And then another guy named Kodiak. He's, like, the big guy with the, like, weird antlers or whatever the fuck he's got going on. So, but... I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of going down through the characters and everything. I'm curious. Like, I I did enjoy, I do enjoy this run, even though I'm not, again, kind of like Constantine, I'm not completely up to date on it. I mean, if I was going to tell somebody, you know, recommend, like I said to the the guy Engineer Nerd, if I was going to start reading New 52 Green Arrow, I'd start with issue 16 where, where Jeff Lemire takes over at that point. But I'm I'm kind of curious what your guys' take on it. I know Tony, you were saying before the show, like you sort of had to acclimate yourself, you know, a little bit because there were some things you felt like you weren't totally in the know of. But did you did you finally sort of get over that? Or oh uh, yeah, I mean, especially as the uh, issue goes on, it was easier to like you know be like, oh okay, so this is the new Green Arrow, but Ollie's not dead. You know, it wasn't just a cold like you know here female Green Arrow, boom. But like. I got used to that pretty quick. Definitely a lot of stuff from the show, like you said, has been creeping in. And, like, not in the show way. Like, you know, you know, it's not like on, like, it's not like in Superman where they're like, hey, there's Chloe, and she's here now. But it's, like, more like, here's an idea from the show, and we're going to make it work for this comic. Which is fine. Yeah. I have no problem with that, because the show is really enjoyable. It's really popular. So I, I, I can see why they did that. But yeah, I, I like the atmosphere. The art is really good. It's kind of, kind of anime-ish, kind of not. It, unlike you know we were just talking about Grayson, this has like a character to it. It's like when I looked at these like you know drawings and like the art, I was like, there's definitely a style going on here, and I uh, I dig it. I like the style. After I, you know, like I said, acclimated to it, the story flowed really good. There there are some good scenes. 
you know, Ali was written really well. He he seems pretty much like the hard ass that we we know and love. I don't know if it was like the best thing I ever read in the world, but I've never been a big Green Arrow fan as far as the comics, as far as following them. I like the character, but I've just never really read them a whole lot. But this was this was totally acceptable. I mean, I didn't feel lost. And as far as like New Fifty Two, I mean, no, it didn't hurt my feelings at all. I was like, no, this this seems like Ollie. You know, this seems like the kind of guy he is. You know, the new Green Arrow doesn't bother me. She seems like she's good with a bow and arrow, and she's, you know, not seemingly too day ex machina. And, you know, just, it was a solid, it was a solid read. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Mike? I'm curious, too, what you thought of it. I I was kind of, like, confused at first, but, uh, like, I I caught on. Like, I was kind of like, like, who is this girl? Is this his daughter? And then I was like, oh, wait, it's, like, his half-sister. Because, like, obviously I was like, oh, it's Shadow, so I thought maybe him and her had a relationship, but then, like, yeah, I was kind of like, no, wait, that doesn't... Yeah, it's like they they do do things a little differently from from the series as well. So, I mean, I suppose if you go into it cold, you wouldn't know too much, but if you do start from issue 16 on, on where Lemire starts, I mean, all this stuff is pretty well explained. Like, you know, they do set up that Robert Queen had an affair with Shadow, and that's where Amiko comes from. Um, I, I'd even say, like, the, the girl that's with Amiko, that girl Dart, her name is Naomi Singh. Like, honestly, she's not, like, they kind of comment on how this is, like, some of the first time that she's gone out into the field as a superhero named Dart. But it's like that character has actually been in even all the crappy issues of Green Arrow that I mentioned. So it's like, she's almost been like the, the Chloe or the Felicity of, <laughs> of that comic. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like seeing if like Felicity, I don't know, put on a, a red jumpsuit and it's like, I'm dark. Like, you know, that that's basically what that's tantamount to in the opening of that. So I think that's designed to make you go, what? Huh? How did that happen? You know, like that kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. But when when I saw Deathstroke show up, I was kind of like, "Oh, I see what you're doing." Like, I was yeah. like, "I've seen him on a TV show." Like, <laughs> you could check out the further Avengers of Deathstroke and DC Comics. Yeah, yeah, Deathstroke plays a pretty substantial role in Future's End. I don't want to spoil what's been going on, but there have been some some interesting things that have happened and and some kind of holy shit moments in in that weekly series. So, I mean, beyond just them trying to capitalize on the, I guess, the kind of manufactured rivalry between, you know, Ollie and Deathstroke, it's like like there are, you know, other reasons for him to kind of want to be present to defend Cadmus's interests because basically he's he's now a hired hand of Cadmus. So in addition to him having some kind of grudge against, you know, Oliver Queen, there there is that business aspect. It's not like he's doing it just because he's, you know, he's got to feel bad. You know, it's like he there's actually, you know, money involved in it for him and stuff. Well, it doesn't like, matter. He, like, he killed Ollie in this issue anyway, so. <laughs> he's like, uh, <laughs> I'm being paid, Mr. Queen. Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah. funny. I, I I was reading that with his voice in my head when I was reading that. Yeah. <laughs> I never did like you. <laughs> uh, awesome. And, and just for spoilers, Oliver doesn't die. It was it was all a ruse. Yeah, it, that that character, the Magus, 
Like, he kind of reminds me of, like, it's like Jeff Lemire is trying to give Green Arrow a, a stick from Daredevil, kind of. Like, because it's almost like there are all these different sort of martial arts clans in a way, you know? And that's that's what the outsiders in this issue kind of represent. They don't really represent... If you're familiar with the, the pre-crisis or even post-crisis, the traditional, you know, Batman and the Outsiders type outsiders, this is more like, you know, Green Arrow and the heads of a bunch of different kind of clans, almost. Yeah, it's like the Assassin's Guild in the hand. It's like... If yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's much more like that. So, so it's it's not quite, uh, you know, your your traditional version of the outsiders. But I, you know, I still think that's kind of cool. Like the way that they, you know, it's almost like he's, you know, it's like he's basically making a deal where he says, "Look, uh, Amico gets to be Green Arrow and doesn't have to deal with you guys anymore. But if you guys help me out this time." Like, I'll become head of the Arrow Clan, and I will join your guys' organization. So it's almost like him saying, like, look, I'll become part of the League of Assassins if you, you know, let my little sister do her thing and, you know, leave her out of it and everything. So, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and, and then I guess you, you have the subplot, which, you know, I'm, I, which I, I think maybe, Tony, you might be familiar with or you might not. I mean, I don't know how much it's crept up into your Earth 2 reading, but, you know, they do deal with the idea that, Oliver Queen is basically trying to help the, you know, the quote-unquote refugees of of this whole Earth 2. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the heroes were helping bring refugees over, and Cadmus snatched up a bunch of them and are doing experiments on them. Yeah, so there there is that aspect to it where, you know, they're kind of like looking at all the different, you know, the the different counterparts and everything. You know, I I don't know if you you have been following anything that we've been talking about with that mic at all, but, you know, there's there's aspects where, you know, the lowest lane from Earth 2 is now the Red Tornado. And so, like, then that robotic Red Tornado meets the actual, you know, lowest lane from Prime Earth, you know, so there's those kind of weird twists to it in the regular series and stuff. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically Earth 2, for lack of a better explanation, is JSA, and they just put them on a different planet. Well, Earth, but different Earth. And they're they're all like, you know, it's Jay Garrick, you know, Alan Scott and all that, but they, you know, totally tweaked them for, you know, the new 52. I just, I, I kind of felt an overwhelming need to discuss Future's End in a mostly positive way. I mean, I hope I succeeded. Like, I just, I, I, I just kind of get tired of the whole... It just seems like there's that knee-jerk gut reaction to, what, New 52? Ugh, that's crap. You know, and it's like nobody gives it a chance, you know? Like, so, I I don't know. I just feel like there must be some people obviously reading it and enjoying it, because I know their sales did go up, you know? But it seems like there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions from old diehards. And I kind of feel like, I I don't know, like, I mean, you know, this could just be me, but my my personal take on it is, it's like, did you really like DC that much? If you can, like, (laughs) totally drop it out of your reading habits like that? Like, I mean, I'd be kind of interested to hear what people have to say, like, if you want to write in and let us know. But, like, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me because part of me feels like, 
you know, and I guess I guess this would be a topic or a debate for another time. But, you know, the I guess the quote unquote corporate loyalty to DC or the loyalty to characters versus, you know, maybe loyalty to creators or, or something like that. But, you know, p- part of me does feel that way. Where I'm kind of like, did you really like, you know, Superman or Green Arrow or Constantine or whoever it is that much if, you know, whatever it is hurt your feel bads that much that you're totally going to sort of turn a blind eye to anything that's labeled New 52. I mean, it, it almost seems like the Marvel zombie mentality, but in the reverse way. You know, like where it's like, oh, it's got Marvel on it? You know, it's it's like I, I remember that story that they always told about Marvel Knights, where it was like, oh, well, the, the Kevin Smith, Joe Quesada, Marvel Knights imprint book, you know, sold like gangbusters or whatever. And, you know, they were like, oh, well, they're going to print like, you know, I forget what it was, but, you know, they had the four different titles. And I think Joe Quesada tells this over on uh, Kevin Smith's podcast or whatever, the the fat man on Batman, where they talk about, you know, oh, well, we were going to get four books and it was going to be like, you know, Daredevil. And I, I forget what the other fucking books were. But anyway, they had they had access to those books. And then all of a sudden, it's like since those books sold so well, they're like, oh, we're going to take this old Moon Knight story that Mark Textera did the art for. And since Black Panther was being drawn by him at the time and had a Marvel Knights imprint and all those books sold very well, they were going to stamp the Marvel Knights imprint on some old stock story and just release it as a Moon Knight special. And they were just like, no, bullshit, you can't do that. Like, that's going to sully the brand name. Like, you can't just put that on any old fucking comic book, you know, like we have to sign off on it and stuff. And, you know, that, that's kind of what it feels like to me. It's like just as long as it has Marvel or Marvel Knights on it, then it's good. But if it's got new 52 on it, oh, that's crap. You know, and I just I kind of wanted to just, you know, make some counterpoints and say, look, I, I do legitimately enjoy what I've read of Constantine and Green Arrow. And in terms of all those specials, you know, like the Swamp Thing book is really, really good, and and the Future's End special for that was really good. If you've been reading Red Lanterns, like the way they wrap that up in the Red Lantern special, like I I would almost be completely satisfied if that was the last issue of Red Lanterns. Like that's how decent an ending I think it was. I didn't I didn't pick that for us to read just because I figured you'd have to have a lot more context to appreciate it, but. I, I mean, I think it was a well-done, you know, book and I, ending. And I, like I was going to say, like, yeah, there are a lot of, like, good ideas. Like, I, I like not that I, like, follow any of those books, but, like, I, I keep in, like, you know, on in step with what's happening. And I was like, oh, they made Guy Gardner, like, a Red Lantern? That makes total sense. Like, that yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I think, like, a lot of those things – you know, I, I I just wanted to sort of provide uh, you know a counterpoint to a, a lot of the things that I've been hearing lately. So that's that's my main reason for just wanting to talk about this and doing the show. So I mean, I, you know, e- even if even if you do think Grayson is avant garde and is really cool and I'm full of it or whatever, I mean, at least you know try some of those titles out, whether it's that or Constantine or Green Arrow or or anything else that you you know happen to think is keen and not sort of fall into this whole mentality that just because it's new 52 it's got to be crap you know so anyway that that's my thing i guess that kind of wraps it up for our discussion topic for the evening but as we are apt to do on our proper shows 
We usually like to throw out an awesome thing of the week before we wrap up. So I will turn it over to Mr. Tony Jackson. I'm just going to ask him what is awesome in his world this week. Well, and this is actually by coincidence because we, we literally came up with this topic very early this afternoon. This week, as of this recording, we got our mid-season finales for Flash and Arrow. Now, I will try not to spoil them as much because I know a lot of people watch Arrow, so it's pretty popular. In case you're behind and you're doing it season by season, so I won't, I won't ruin it for you. Both really strong mid-season finales. Flash is slowly becoming like one of my favorite shows on TV. It's just... Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Both of them leave on a pretty big cliffhanger. I will, I will say that the Flash cliffhanger definitely makes you wonder who the uh, reverse Flash is. You know, like, who could he be? And the yeah. Arrow one, I will say this, so I don't spoil it, but I can still give a nod. Rash al Ghul kicks ass. <laughs> he gets a very good star moment in this episode, and you really do, like, kind of kind of see why he's such a badass and, like, why he's, you know, someone you should definitely be friggin' terrified of. So, all around, I'm I'm eagerly awaiting their January return, and, yeah, DC TV shows are just great. I'm just, I'm, I'm totally digging the, like, universe, even if they don't connect to each other. I mean, Flash and Arrow do, but even Gotham's okay, and Constantine's great. I'm like, holy crap, these are all good shows. But anyway, check out the mid- mid-season finales if you get a chance. You know, you either see them on online or, you know, maybe in a rerun or, like I said, if you do the seasons, check them out. Really good, really good stuff this week. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure at some point they'll all be on Blu-ray and everything. They seem to be really popular, and I'm sure they will continue. What about you, Mike? You got an awesome thing of the week? Yeah, I picked up Transformers Generations Leader Class Jetfire, and I think he he was on sale like on Amazon for like twenty five bucks for a while, and usually he's like forty something bucks. So I figured that was a good deal, and I picked him up. And you know, like ever since he like had, there was pictures of him and stuff and reviews of him, people have like been a like there's been a lot of detractors. Uh, for him, but like I, I'm not one of them. I think he's awesome. And I, I kind of think that old like Voyager Jetfire from Classics is kind of like showing its age. So like this new one has a lot better proportions. And I mean, people were making fun of like the chrome that it looks kind of garish and out of place, but it, it doesn't look so bad in person. And like I don't, he's just a good toy. And if you if you like Jetfire, you know this is a pretty like good and definite version of him. Very cool. I guess I guess for me, I'll go along the whole toy thing this week. I actually happened to go to a Toys R Us, and I actually found a bunch of stuff that I, I wanted, which is kind of surprising, which basically was I did land the, the Surf's Up Joker that I had been looking for to, I guess for the time being, complete the, the Batman 66 Mattel collection. So now I've got a Surfing Batman and a Surfing <laughs> Joker ready to duel off against each other. And then I also uh, came across all the new NECA Planet of the Apes, classic apes figures that I had wanted from the new wave. So I guess, like, the new wave had Dr. Zaius, which was already issued in a previous wave, but then the new figures were Zira and General Ursus. So, like, I've got, you know, I, I, I'm like, I think I want to make, like, a thing where it's like, he, because there's a, 
a two-pack that's an exclusive at Toys R Us with the gorilla soldiers, but they've actually got, like, the nooses to, like, hunt down humans and stuff like that. So I was thinking maybe I could put the general with the two apes and have them, like, hunting down wolverines or something and be like, the only good Logan is a dead Logan, you know, or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I was I was kind of excited. They're, they're all really, really nice sculpts, and they look just like they do out of the movies and stuff. If you're, if you're into that kind of thing, it'd be right up your alley. Cool. I know you were looking for those Planet of the Apes guys for a while. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was happy to stumble into them uh, when I, when I ran into a store. So it looks like NECA, you know, they, they can have pretty good distribution, I guess, when they want to. So, like, I was, I was excited about that. So I guess that pretty much wraps up our show for this evening. Again, if you uh, want to send us any happy emails or angry emails, you can feel free to do so at fanholespodcast at gmail dot com. We are on Stitcher Radio. We are on iTunes. You can leave us feedback on Facebook or Twitter. You know, so, and again, we appreciate all the likes we get on the shows, you know, all the the feedback and everything that, that people give us. So thanks for listening. And until the next time, I'm like, we, we should have recorded this at the beginning. We should actually, like, just when I edit this, I'll start it with the outro and then we'll work our way back. No. It'll make total sense. No, no, we're not going to do that. Okay. We're not going to do that at all. Anyway, this is Derek, Derek WC, non, non, going in reverse. And and remember, earn, earn that fucking dark suit that protects you from harm. <laughs> earn it by wearing a really bright suit that gets you shot at all the time. Hey. Derek, Derek WC, sign it off. I guess yeah. If if you can survive being a bullet sponge or whatever for that long, you you do earn that. It's Mike. This is Tony. Remember, I want you to be seen. I want you to be seen so when you start bleeding profusely from all the beatings you're taking, you'll be able to see the blood on your costume and you'll be thinking, man, I made some poor life decisions. Peace. Earn that peace. Peace. Earn that peace. Peace, Mr. Coy. <laughs> Trying to earn that night. It's on layaway. Hopefully I'll get it out soon. <laughs> One of these days I'll earn it. You think after Bruce walked away, he just had to laugh at himself. Like, he totally bought that crap. <laughs> yeah, I know. Alfred and him are like both laughing. <laughs> I just made it more like, you know, I was like, okay, and then get this. When I was done, like, you know, pretty much making fun of him, I was like, you're going to earn the night. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, ah. <laughs> Master Bruce, you are card. <laughs> oh man, coming in two, 2016, Batman earned the night. Earned the night. <laughs> oh. What a fucking asshole! <laughs> what a fucking asshole! I, I would have been like, are you fucking you? Are you an asshole? Are you bat asshole? Like seriously? I couldn't believe I. I'm offended, and I'm not even in the story. You know? <laughs> What? Yeah. Yeah, you just sound like you're in a garage.
I'm listening to that uh, Toku Sentai Thursdays thing you did, Derek. Uh, does, does it does it make any sense to you yeah, at all? Yeah, well, you you sprinkle it with a lot of like references, like you know, you're talking about like Spider Man's webbing and you know stuff like that. So like I, yeah. you know, that that helps out. But the, yeah. tell uh, tell Luke, uh, I was laughing at his like Clint Eastwood impression, and he was like, <laughs> "What about the rights of that little girl?" <laughs> I listened to it too. I thought it was really amusing, and and I want you to tell Luke something too. We've already got a me. We don't need another me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I liked him. He seemed like he'd be a fun guy to talk to. Yeah, yeah, he's a nice guy. He's he's very cool. Um, but yeah, that, it was fun. I mean, I just I it was just one of those things where I was like, oh man, I gotta like edit this, you know, and it was like two hours yeah. of talking, you know. So I was like, oh, okay. But, um, yeah, it was fine. And then the the other part, too, was I couldn't find the actual official soundtrack for that movie anywhere to download. So I was just kind of, like, grabbing the themes of, like, the characters we were talking about. And then I did find that, you know, We Are Bruises, you know, song on YouTube. So I just used that at the end. But as far as, like, official, you know, I just grabbed, like, things from, like, Wizard or... Um, Space Sheriff or, like, you know, just the, the characters that showed up, like the Go Busters music and stuff, but I, I don't know if that was used in the film or not, but yeah. I just kind of made do with what I could find, so. Yeah, I, like I said, I thought it was it was definitely enjoyable. I listened to the whole thing, and like I said, it was long, but I never got bored. I was like, these guys are having a cool conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, cool, cool, good, good, so. I guess uh, I I probably don't have to tell Luke nothing because I'm taping this. I'll just email him the slice. <laughs> hey, you want to hear what we said about you behind your back? Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get a kick out of it. Um, but yeah, okay, so so, uh, so we shouldn't like say anything negative. Like that Jack and Eddie guy sounded like a total <laughs> twat. <laughs> well, it's too late now. Good thing he'll never know that Justin like said he would never do a podcast with him. I don't know when if uh, Justin said he's gonna come back like after January, but I yeah, guess we'll yeah. just see what happens when it happens. By, by the way, Luke, you did not say that he actually has reasons for not being on like the show. <laughs> yeah, I can I can always selectively edit that I can cut it at a certain point. It's no big deal. 